welcome back to the Game Pit. I'm Sean, I was replaced by Puria last time, and here's Ronan. I believe he's still crawling around inside you. He's <laughs> like a possum in the garage roof. Get out of there! Burst forth from my chest. <laughs> oh, well, how would we know? <laughs> anyway, I'm Ronan, you're very welcome to the Game Pit podcast. It was a bit loose and freewheeling and bohemian for my liking last time, Sean. Get this tacked down a bit. I don't know if it's for your liking, Ronan. I think you quite liked it from the sound of it. It was a break, but you know I'll always come back to you. (laughs) So we're back to our uh, picking over the bones format this week, as promised. We've got six games, all Essen releases, to give you proper reviews off. We'll have a proper hack at them. Uh, And they're going over, and we'll give you our top three in the outro at the end. Sean, I've already told them we've got some plans going forward that you haven't heard about yet. I don't know whether I should tell you on air or not. It might come as a shock. Ah, go on, go on. I'm used to it. (laughs) Well, I told them we're going to do six more reviews before Christmas, which we just said we're probably going to do. And then I said we're going to do our review of our 10 by 10 for the year and then plan another one for 2019. (laughs) Given that my 10 by 10 has gone so well. (laughs) And on zero, we've got... Sean, yeah. and, uh, and another zero <laughs> Another place. zero, uh, Sean. <laughs> it's like you had a baby or something. What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's like he's taken up a lot of my time. <laughs> I think we've said it before, but Sean's first kid like got up at eight o'clock every morning and was just like, basically having another adult around the place. And second kid, not so much. <laughs> not so much. He's a handful, literally a handful. Welcome to being an actual parent. It's taken quite a while and I'm quite smug about it now. <laughs> anyway, Sean, any other business before we crack on with our reviews? Oh, I don't think so, Ronan. I'm looking forward to these reviews because I think we're going to have some differing viewpoints on some of these at least. It would be nice to get back to that, some old school game pit before we started agreeing with each other too much. <laughs> so shall we crack on, Ronan? Let's do it. As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Podbean's iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, please go to our YouTube channel for pit stop videos and convention coverage. Let's kick this off with a Steffenfeld game. It's Forum Trajanum. Two to four players taking anywhere from one to two hours from Stronghold Games and Hook and Friends. In Forum Trajanum, each of the players is going to be using their own tiles to develop their own colonia or add to the forum itself, which is central on the board. In each round, two cards are going to be drawn. Now, there are 24 cards in total. We'll be playing four rounds in each of three eras. And on those two cards, there are symbols, and those symbols correspond to a row or a column off the player's tiles in front of them. And they must draw one tile from each row or column that the symbol is linked to. From those two face-down tiles, you don't know what you're getting, you're going to look at them, you're going to choose one to keep and one to pass to the player on your right, you'll receive another one, and from the kept one and the passed one, you're going to play one of them. Now, if you choose to play the one you've been passed, you get to keep your own tile, and that will become an envoy, which you can use later. If you choose to play with the one that you've kept, then you just discard the other players, and that does not become an envoy for you. Now, what's on the faces of these tiles we're choosing? 
First of all, there are six citizens. They come in three different classes and you put them on a row to the side of your main grid that is your own colonia. And when you choose the first citizen in a row, it's gonna unlock a power for you. In some way, it's gonna bend the rules of the game and be slightly beneficial. And also, whenever you place a citizen in a row, you're gonna boost the scoring for a certain type of buildings when you build them in the row associated with that citizen. So we're talking about buildings. You can build two different types of buildings and there are four of each type. Now there are either these gray buildings which are markets and columns and things like that and they generally interact with the central board or there are these color buildings and when you build them, they're gonna go on your board, they're gonna give you a boost in scoring possibly and they're gonna give you presents with these envoys on the central board. Now when you build these gray buildings, you're going to put them in one of the rows. They can only be one of each type in a row and you're gonna advance on one of the tracks which are on the central board and at the end of each of the eras, these buildings are going to score for each row they're on according to how many citizens are also on that row. So citizens, this is how they act as multipliers for scoring. You can also get these workers of different colours and they're linked to diff different coloured buildings. And when you build those buildings into your own grid, into your colonia, if you have an envoy, you can place it into this coloured grid which is on the central board, which is the forum, and you claim that space. And you can only usually go in an area that is uncompleted and you're looking to build up big areas of your own envoys and also get them close to these eagle spots because that will score you points. There are a couple of other things that can be on the faces of these tiles, as well as these builders and workers to help you build buildings and these citizens. You can get money, which you're going to need to pay your citizens each era, or they're going to go on strike, they're not going to give you any help. There are assistants you can use to change the colour of your workers, or there are tribunes that will let you make a card wild, or choose to use both of your tiles on a turn. At the end of each era, which is every two rounds, there are cranes in the corners of your colonia, and they you know that two of them have got citizens on them, so that's one of the ways in which you'll know you're getting citizens, but the other two citizens you don't start the game with, you don't know where they are. Anyway, these cranes are linked to the colour buildings, and if you've uncovered a crane on this era, all the buildings of that colour are gonna score you some points. Also, the rows will score, coins of citizens and the grey buildings as suggested. Any of your envoys which are next to eagles in the main forum are gonna score you a few points. You'll score for that biggest area of forum. Now, the way you do that is you've got a score slider which you can move along, again, sometimes by claiming tiles. And the further you've moved this score multiplier along, the more points you'll score for your biggest area in the forum. And the other thing that that score multiplier is linked to are Trajan cards. And at the end of each era, there'll be a Trajan card that will score and it'll be one of two things. It'll be for things you still have some resources be they builders or workers or tribunes or coins or something like that that you haven't spent yet or for having certain patterns of gray and color buildings on your boards around these temples which are fixed spaces in your colonia that end of era scoring happens three times there's no end game scoring and at the end of the third era people are going to check their points whoever scored the most points would have won forum trey janum sean in a stefan feld game you get here what you expect to get. That is, there are obstacles for you to complete your plan. And in this case, it's the face down tiles. And then there are various ways to score points. Starting with that obstacle, the fact that you're choosing without knowing what your tiles are. How does it work for you? So effectively, you are choosing for spaces on your own colonia board, aren't you? You're looking for double spaces. You're looking to reach the goals set out in each of the eras by the Trajan card. So you're not really picking your resources, but at the same time, effectively, you are going to get a choice of three resources by the end. Yeah. 
I'm not sure I've got a better answer than that. <laughs> it's, but three it's, completely random things. Three completely random, but there, there's only so many things that are going to come up, and I actually really enjoyed the just the agony of choice. There were so many times when you pull up two really good things, or a good thing for you and a fantastic thing for another person, and you're just oh, can I hand it over? Can I hand it over? And I, I just enjoyed the mechanism. I'm not saying it's the most watertight mechanism in terms of endgame scoring and delivering through the game, but just for the, the theatre of that moment, I really enjoyed it, Ron. We Okay. <laughs> I'm not feeling the same in levels of enjoyment coming from I'm you. trying not to charge head first, didn't you? <laughs> let's not butt heads this early in the episode. No, let's butt heads. I love it. Come on. <laughs> oh. All right. It's two massive heads, let's spot them. I'll do it by, by coming at you from a different angle. So, you're drawing face-down tiles. Not the most control in the world. Not the biggest decision space in the world. Then you're saying that you're drawing them in order to form the patterns from the Trajan card. But you don't get to choose where the tiles come from. Those cards will come out in the order they come out, and they'll dictate what column and row you can go to. So, again, I don't have much of a decision to make there when those cards get turned over. You've got your patricians that can you can give them up to get to alter that to take something from anywhere, and I think it's just making it, it's adapting, it's adapting, making the best of what you've got. You've obviously got quite a bit of choice. You've got a whole column and a whole row to choose from, and and it's just trying to match them up as best as you can to what you've already planned. So if you want to put a double down so a double blue down or a, or a double red down then it's trying to get two together and and plan ahead just think right okay that might work in two turns time i can maybe put a double down there so yeah not 100 percent control but there is the inkling of control there running there's not 10 percent control <laughs> never mind 100 percent. i could be building to get the, the four corners of a temple i use that in all's explanation and i can get to the three and then i just can't get to the fourth i, I just can't there's no, it doesn't come out, so... So you use your patricians. But that decision shrinks as the game goes on. So like, there's fewer and fewer tiles there, and therefore I'm choosing less and less. So in the game where, to me, I always feel like I should be progressing somewhere, this limited decision space is shrinking as the game goes on, and I'm going, okay, now I have even less control because there's one tile left in this column, and that card's drawn, well, that's the tile to go. There you go. See, again, I come at that from a slightly different angle, Rowan. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that it was, oh, I really need that to come out, but let me plan ahead. Let me make sure I've got patrician if I need to go to that space. There are various ways you can get patricians into your hand, building great buildings, obviously. They're still the called tribunes, on. by the way. I've been, tr- I've been trying not to say it, but you said patrician 88 times. Uh, that would, you know what? That is one of my points. So I've made one of my own points about learning this game. There are too many things to remember as work as patrician <laughs> tribunes. There's a... Uh, assistants and envoys and all sorts going on it that's that was the major stumbling block because i'm thick obviously I, I just couldn't get to grips with all the different names and i still can't because i'm doing it wrong on the podcast my man you you have absolutely now hit the nail on the head <laughs> all right yes there is a load going on. There's four different colour buildings. There's four different types of grey buildings. There are four, five, six, seven, eight different types of workers. There's three different tracks for when you build a grey building. There's the citizens that give you a power and the second one gives you an extra something. And then, oh, but don't forget the scoring. That slider moves up as well. And <laughs> that changes how you go. 
And with the citizens, you've got to pay them. If you don't pay them, you flip them over. Sometimes you don't need them as much. And then with those cranes, don't forget about those cranes, mate, because those cranes will screw you. So make sure you get your yellows down before you uncover your yellow crane. All in the game in which I'm blind flipping a couple of tiles. The decision space is far too small for everything that's been heaped on top of it. It is a standard field in which you are prevented from doing something on a plain plan, in my opinion too much here, but then there are a million different ways to score points, but I have no control over how I score those points, or, or not enough control. And to me, they've made the mistake of trying to put a full 90-minute game on top of a 30-minute game's mechanisms. I wouldn't go that far. I, I felt like I had control. I felt like you had to specialise. I think I felt you had to go down. How, how do you specialise? The only strategic you could do is the citizens because they unlock certain powers and they make you better at certain things. Right, you start with two. You know where two more are and you don't know where the other two are. So if the two that you know where they are, you flip them over, they're not the ones you want. Yeah, yeah. That one I'll give you. The citizens themselves... There you go. I couldn't remember what the name for those were either, so <laughs> I'm glad you said it. So the citizens, obviously, yeah, you know where two are when you start because they're face up on your on your cranes. But yeah, and there's there's ones hidden in there. And then when you do flip them over, are you going to keep them? Are you going to pass them on? I suppose I suppose it's a no brainer unless you're me. You're going to keep them. But no, you're not because money's really tight. And you were saying you felt an agony of choice when you flipped the two tiles. I didn't at all. Because I look at them and go, that one's best for me. And I didn't care what I was passing to my right. I had no interest whatsoever. Because there's no way I'm taking something that was useless to me in order to stitch someone else up. What am I doing that for? 100% opposite. 100% opposite for me. I'm looking at, you know what? That's going to give them too much power. I really want the other thing, but that's it's okay for me. Go, go, go. You've got, you got to talk me through this. How is it going to give them too much power, man? What, what could they possibly get that's going to make that much So I got the uh, the citizen, I think it was the merchant citizen, which is the bag of money uh, yeah. icon. And I also had a money and a patrician because I had plans to have a double go a bit later on in, in the round. And I really wanted the patrician to give me the flexibility to place and take from wherever I wanted it's on the board. It's still a tribune, by the way. Oh, you my carry God. You carry on, you your own fire off. No, it's all right. <laughs> Uh, I've got Patrician on the mind. Tribune, is there is some somewhere there. Tribune, I wanted I wanted those tribunes for flexibility, so I actually handed over the merchant, and it probably lost me the game because uh, Natalie really sort of ramped up putting grey buildings on that row because she had a double merchant because I gave her a second merchant like an idiot, and yeah, she she won the game, but I shouldn't have given her that. And that right. that wasn't an agonising choice. That was you making a portrait. <laughs> <laughs> With a tribune the ever worth as much as a season. You know what? I think it was a tribune and slide the old slidey slidey thing at the top along. Which so, is a fool's economy because it takes you about 82 moves to get it anywhere decent. Exactly. <laughs> but how big did you guys manage to get your envoys in the forum? Because... In the certainly for the first two scorings, people were dribbling points from that. Our first two scorings, yeah, they might yeah. Have been better. On the first couple of goes, to be fair, like what you've just said, we didn't really chain anything together. Then we cottoned on that you need to get that merchant tile to flip over that scoring tile at the top, which makes the, the scoring more productive for having more in a chain. So I think we, we did that, and then we started chaining more things together. I think we got up to about seven, maybe eight. You guys are too nice to each other in what tiles you pass. 100%, yeah, yeah, we don't No way, me. man. We were like, <laughs> I think I've seen six as an outside... 
<laughs> I may achieve that, might not be true, because you've got chances to save things as, as Envoy sometimes. But anyway, not a lot, and not a lot of points coming from that in any of the games, and it's it's just one more thing that's in there. It's like the eagle scoring in the forum. If you get next to an eagle space, you can score, and if you use a certain citizen, you can score if you're diagonally next. To it. It's just little piddly amounts of points that aren't going to change the game, but it's just mm. one more thing to think about. We use the library action quite a lot. Or I, t- I did as well, anyway, which gets you up and you can place on the eagle and you can also place, if you get to the end one, you can just take one of your envoys off your board and, and use, the, use that power. So we, we kind of push that up a little bit as well. And you can always take the power behind it so you can place on all of the eagles if you, if you so wish, if you keep using that library action. So I think that's how we got a few more envoys on the board. Still... Not exciting to me. <laughs> I'm getting that feeling. I'm getting that feeling from you. Yeah, right? go on, mate. Go, clearly, you, you give us the uh, the good cop and I'll go back. I'll go give a good cop. So, Ronan, my good cop pitch is I felt that there was agonising choices right from the off. Yeah, it did seem confusing at first, but then everything sort of fell into place for me and I found it a really tight, interesting game. What I particularly liked was the diminishing importance of the buildings, the coloured buildings, because it adapted your strategy because you score three points every time you link them to those cranes in the first round, but then as you go on, it becomes two and then one. I found that really interesting. Really interactive game. We were forced to be interactive. We were forced to make difficult choices that affected us. And I really enjoyed Forums for Janum. Well, some aspects of it are okay. (laughs) I think that I was, uh, or I placed myself in a more negative stance as a counterpoint to all your pause. Surprising, I have to say, positivity. For my taste, I felt too much was out of my control and that a lot of my time was just spent on admin, on little additions and little the scoring thing that I mentioned or the eagles or just little bits that just didn't need to be there. Too many small little scoring mechanisms on which I was making no decisions. I feel like the whole thing needed a bit of a cleanup and a reduction in size. And then that drawing of tiles and doing a small puzzle with cleaner scoring would have been more fun to me because there is some fun there to be had out of it and to building the grid and to trying to think your way around and then trying to get the patterns, which I actually found quite tricky to do to get the patterns right. I just wasn't very good at that, and I certainly I didn't win any of my games of Forontra Janum. I wasn't. I think that didn't affect too much because we're going to talk about other games later on that I liked more that I'm worse at. So even before Sean was positive, I was going to say to people, try it if you don't mind a, a puzzly, dry Euro with with a you know you do your thing and then you you see what happens after that. But for me, it's definitely not Feld's best, and I'm not too excited to carry on playing it. I won't be asking for it again. But if it came up, sure, I'd sit down and play, and I wouldn't have a terrible time. So that's Forum Trajanum. Sean, what's next? So, next we are on the next key game. It's Key Flow, designed, as usual, by Sebastian Bleasdale and Richard Breeze, and this time with Ian Vincent from R&D Games, and playing two to six players the very brief uh, overview on the theme here is the river Key flow passes through the key lands, carrying ships and buildings are made along the river and animals graze in the fields. It's pretty much as deep as it gets. Key flow is played over four seasons all round and obviously spring, summer, autumn and winter in that order. And you can start by taking winter cards into your hand and these are end of game scoring cards and you also start with a home card. 
Then you're going to get a hand of cards for each of the seasons. And you're going to take one card, pass them on to the left or right, depending on the season. The types of cards you're going to get are buildings. And these are going to produce resources, change things in some way, or upgrade for points. You have fields. Again, you get resources on the fields. But you also get animals. And animals are for end of game scoring generally. You also have boats. Boats are going to give you an ongoing power if you manage to get them onto your tableau. And last up, you have keeples. And the keeples are, instead of the meeples, in the colour of the season. And they're used to activate buildings. And they can be played either on your own tableau or somebody else's tableau. They also contain other resources or animals. And if you end with any keeple cards above your tableau, meaning that somebody's used them or you've used them to activate, then you keep them and they go into your personal stack of cards. Also, just quickly mention, there are keeple tokens that assist you in placing the cards, and they go in a specific way. If you have one, you must place a two keeple to, to be able to activate the building again, and so on with three keeples, and that's the limit. You're going to play until winter, and then you're going to keep one of those scoring cards that you took right at the beginning. And you're going to put the others into the deck and play as normal, being able to draft everybody else's and your own back again. At the end of the game, the scores are based on what scoring cards you have. And these are all about set collection. As I mentioned, those animals, the keepers themselves, goods and resources. And there are also building upgrades in there as well. It's very much, I think, Keyflower, the card game, Roland. How did you think about Keyflow? We need to make one very important point before we go any further, Sean. Go. Fantastic rulebook. Yeah, well, after after previous attempts, for sure. <laughs> after Keeper. After Keeper. Sure. <laughs> well done for getting in the experts and getting a decent rulebook in there. It made everything much, much easier. Thank you so much, and well done on the rulebook, everyone. Okay, here's another thing that I really love about it. It's a very clean presentation. And to me, in certainly in Keeper, in terms of interaction, I was just, I'm not going to read everything that's going on your tableau or look at the particular folded out thing that you've done on that field or what you particularly need. It didn't happen because there was too much going on. Even in Keyflower, now I haven't played Keyflower in a long time and I didn't play it that often, maybe four or five times. I was never great at sort of interacting with other people's towns. The key flow to me, maybe because it's in a familiar format with the cards and the drafting, but also the presentation, the very clear two rows, these are the things you can go to, these are the things you can't go to, really aids me in my interaction. And that is a really important part of it, which is unusual for a card drafter. Yeah, I think just having those arrows on the keeple cards, the one that points towards you and the one that points towards I like towards arrows. <laughs> it just reminds you, hang on, I can actually place this on somebody else's. So let me have a look what they've got. And it encourages you to go and have a look. And you can only really affect your neighbours. So you're only really that interested in your neighbours effectively. Yeah, for end of game scoring, etc., you kind of need to know what's going on around the table. And maybe with the bigger player numbers on this game, you can go up to six maybe that's a little bit more difficult. Also, unusually, again, maybe it's just me, unusually, the interaction really drives what it is that you want to draft and don't want to draft, in that you need to be really aware of what you can use around you, who's drafted what, where you can get your upgrades for your buildings, where you can get access to gold, where you can get access to stone. And then there's a really nice spatial aspect in that if you do get that stuff, it's coming into your home card, are you then able to transport it somewhere useful from your home card? 
also where you place your own resource gathering things. It's not just good enough to have a mine that produces coal if you need that coal at a card that's six cards over to the right because you're never going to get it there. The spatial aspect of your neighbours and that interaction also comes into your own tableau. So I felt like we were very much playing within a space. Yeah, and you are building that sort of, I don't know, whatever it is, a village or that that sort of riverside community. Because, as you said, you do have to think very carefully about where you're placing things. There is, If you do not have the buildings that are going to move lots of goods, lots of spaces, there's no point in placing that coal building, as Rona said, six cards to the left. Because you, you're going to struggle to get that anywhere that's of any use. So you've got to really think about what you're placing and where you're placing it. And yeah, for sure, definitely a very strong aspect of this game the spatial aspect in there then leads into so you can throw a card away just to take a two meeple token to power up a meeple card the first couple of times i played i didn't throw anything away i ended up with a village that was like 30 maybe not 30 cards 10 cards wide and it was useless utterly useless now i throw cards away like confetti I'm, I've gone too far the other way. I end up with about two cards in my village going, I haven't built anything. I haven't built what have I been doing. I haven't built anything. So I've just been throwing the way and meepling other people's and trying to actually run what it is I produce. And I have never got that balance right. I am absolutely terrible at key flow. I either build too many things and never run them, or I build too few and then I've got nothing to run. To be fair, Ronan, I've played this a few times with other people. I've only played once with your good self, and I have to say, I wasn't impressed. Am I the worst Keyflow player you've ever seen? I, th- I think probably. At this, at this early stage in, in my Keyflow history, then, yeah, I think you probably are, bless you. It's, it's, not, it's not easy being me. <laughs> it does have a massive, <laughs> massive table presence, which gets me onto one of the things I was expecting from the game, and it didn't work out that way. I was expecting Keyflower, the card game, which it is but I was expecting a more portable version. And it's going to get onto what my final thoughts are a little bit, which made me think I could have both in my collection and play both quite regularly. This one has quite a table presence. There are a lot of cards. There's a lot of mixing up the cards at the beginning for the different player numbers, etc. So it, it isn't that quick, streamlined version of Keyflower that I thought it would be. Yes, it is. It's not. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it's it not. just it's is. Not. It's not. It is. In play it time. plays in the same. It plays in a similar time frame. Are it you does similar? Get things. off the crystal meth. <laughs> Leave the class A's alone. All right. What a similar playtime. Keyflower takes like two and a half hours. Does it, my bottom? It Who have you been playing with? Like four players. It takes two and a half hours to play Keyflower. No, not in my. Not not yes. in, not not whenever I've played it. You're crazy. This plays in like a 30, it's like a 45 minute game. No. Man, I don't know. Are we still talking about Keyflow? Have you moved on? Are you talking about something else? This one, this one might be a slightly shorter, but it's really not that noticeable. It's like three times shorter. It's literally no, you, you've gone mad. You've actually no, gone mad. No, we've established your high. No. And aid is on its way. <laughs> we've established that you are low and you need that hit. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got to the lows of this episode. Let's start talking about that. You're mad. Yes, it takes up a decent amount of of table of space, but in terms of play, 
once you know it, you're just like, boom, right, you throw out six cards for this player count, there's your winter ones, here you go, let's go draft. And the draft doesn't take long, and you're done in under an hour. Guaranteed. You have never played Keyflower in under an hour. Get out. No, I haven't. I've played the Keyflower in an hour and a half, and this one's about an hour, an hour and ten. I just, I don't understand you. I don't know what you're doing. Are you I've really, never understood Should I you. use a two meeple or a one? Well, yeah, how long are you there for to make that decision? <laughs> your, so your point was wrong. So we'll move on to a decent point because you clearly Well, can't you're not going to provide it. Have we got a guest? <laughs> uh, hi, Puria here. Oh. <laughs> Dude. Good one. No, absolutely. In terms of... <laughs> I've actually written in terms of on my next point. I didn't mean to. Anyway, he says in terms of a lot. Sorry, Corey. Let's move on. <laughs> actually, this links into that point we just made. You get the winter scoring cards. So there are a few scoring cards in autumn, but most of them are in winter, and everyone gets dealt a handful of them, but they only get to keep one before winter starts. So they know that this is one way in which I'm going to score points. There, I know some of the other cards in the game, but I don't know the majority of the scoring cards in the game. Therefore, I am somewhat playing blind now. I know I score points for my upgrades, but a lot of the scoring opportunities that come my way, I'm not fully aware of what they're going to be. Yeah? Yeah. That does lead to three rounds of playing a bit blind. Where you're a bit like, I don't know, I'm going to collect a load of pigs, I'm going to get all this gold, I'm hoping there's pig and gold scoring cards otherwise. So in terms of establishing the winner, that is probably a bit more random than you would expect from a key game, or I would expect from a key game. What it does do, though, is lead to a lack of analysis paralysis. Because and those big scoring cards are not available till the end, People aren't able to then analyse every single card for the three seasons beforehand and go, oh, a cow's going to be worth four, but a pig's going to be worth three, but a double pig might be worth more. than." That doesn't happen. And then at the end, there are no more building cards other than scoring cards and meeples. So again, it still actually flows quite quickly because you can look at the scoring cards and go, no, I don't have any ships. No, I don't have any sheep. Yes, I do have loads of coal. Boom, that's my scoring card. And... For each player is going to have to make a decision there whether the payoff and the lack of control of endgame scoring is worth the lack of analysis paralysis. Oh yeah, I 100% agree with you. You've got to kind of focus on one one aspect because that's going to be the one card you keep and you're really sort of putting all your eggs into that basket to a degree. There's obviously going to be other eggs around and you know what some of them are. So you might you might just edge out a little bit on something that you've already got, but then you don't want to make it too obvious because then somebody will negative draft you because they will just take it away and say, well, you're not having that because you're going to score loads of points from it. So, yeah, but I really like that. I really like that. I know some of the cards that are going to come round and I'm going to get some of my cards round, depending, well, depending on the player count, back to me. But it's just which ones are going to come back to me and everything else is opportunistic. I like it. You're starting to talk sense. <laughs> I'm starting to believe that you're coming down for that massive high. Have you got any other we'll points? We'll meet in the middle, right? Uh... <laughs> it seems unlikely. <laughs> Anything else before I sum up? No, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to sum up myself, Ryan, so crack on. Keyflow. Strong. Strong game. I like drafting anyway, so I'm predisposed to like it. It plays quick, clearly plays in under an hour every single time, even with higher player counts. I've played it with up to five, under an hour, playing it with two. Not that much quicker, to be honest with you. It all makes sense. Once people learn the iconography, which doesn't take that long, 
there sometimes is a little bit that they need to learn how that scoring works from the winter phase. So first game at Cam Cam was a bit of a shock and you go, oh, I score for what? I don't know what you score for yet. It depends. But once you get used to that, to me, it's part of the charm. For others, I can see other points of view. I love the fact that there's that interaction in it, but I'm not constantly worried what everyone else is doing and it's not really negative interaction they can deny you things by going in quicker in yours it's just something to consider but it doesn't feel like you're you're bashing each other all the time key flow's a hit for me sure brilliant so key flow for me is a hit as well my one concern as i touched upon was i've got key flower a lot of the mechanisms in here are very similar yes it does play a little bit quicker yes it's a little less thinkier than key flower itself but i get the same things from key flower yes you've got an auction versus a draft etc but I get very similar feelings and very similar thought processes from Keyflow. So do I want both in my collection? I think I enjoyed this one enough as an entity on its own to keep it in my collection. But Roland, if you did come knocking and say, I'd really like your copy of Keyflow, I would certainly consider letting you have it because I've got Keyflower. But I, I really definitely... want your copy of Keyflow. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll consider it. <laughs> Keyflow is absolute as a standalone game. Keyflow is a, is an absolute winner. I think it's fantastic. That fantastic came from nowhere, Craig. Okay. I think it's fantastic. I think I, my, the first two games we've talked about, I would say fantastic. I really enjoyed both of them. Well, you're, you're half right. <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> Let's move on to one that we heard was fantastic prior to Essen. Right up hard there. to get. It's right still hot. There. This was... Was this our most, Neon was our most anticipated between us, was it? Newton was up there though, right? Newton, I think, yeah, it was Newton or Neon, if you if you put the two lists together, they were right up there. We're going to talk about them both, so yeah. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Let's crack on with Newton. Designed by Simone Luciani and Nestori Mangioni from Cranio Creations, one to four players taking around 90 minutes to play. This is a deck cycling game, I will say, an action selection in which we are scientists in the 17th century. We're looking to travel around Europe to study, to work, and to win by scoring the most points over six rounds of play. Everyone starts with the same six cards, although a slightly different player board with one of the actions in the game boosted. One of the cards is a joker. The other five are linked to the five possible actions you can take in the game. When you play a card, you're going to play five of them in a round. When you play a card down, you get to take the action on it. It gives you one power in effect in that action. Other things you've collected and cards that you have stored away at the end of previous rounds. So from your deck at the end of each round, you take one card, you tuck it underneath. And now that symbol for that action is available to you to power up that action for all the rest of the game. There are other ways you can collect these power up symbols. Anyway, you add the Power from the card, plus any you've stored already, and that's how strong you are in that action on this particular turn. What can you do? You can travel. The number of spaces you can go around this map of Europe, which is on the main board, is equal to whatever your power is in travel. Wherever you stop, you can drop cubes. There are places that you can go through to pick up one-off bonuses. There's a scattering of them. There are universities and ancient sites you can go to, which means you've studied them, which will allow you to uh, lay down books later on, which we'll get to. There are also bonus spaces you can stop in that will get you to have another apprentice that can go and do technology for you or will get you some potions or some money or some little bonus. There is also two always medical cities in the game, which when you go to them, you get an income in points, which is increased if you go to both of them. So you're choosing where you want to go and some routes cost you some money to travel around on the board. That sounds very Marco Polo if you know that game. The next thing you can do is to study. Now, there are three levels of your study and what the power that you do is in is what level you can get to. 
To do this, you're going to move a book tile from your board onto another space on your board where there are columns and rows of various length. They're broken up sort of like a crossword puzzle, kind of. But to put a book in a space, you have to have met the requirement for that space. That's either going to be that you have travelled already to a university or an ancient site as depicted on the board, or that you have a certain number of books available to you. Now, when I said that you play these cards down in order to do the actions, they each have a top half to them as well. And on the top half of there, sometimes there's like get an extra money, sometimes it's do this for that, sometimes it's gain a potion, and sometimes they'll just have pictures of books. And you look at your tableau of books and any others that you've got available to you, possibly from playing Masters down, which we'll get to. And if you've got the correct number, then you can put them down. Now, whenever you require books and you require them for this and also to access some in-game scoring, you could these potions I've been talking about that you can get as bonuses or as incomes or you collect them from moving up some of the various tracks, you could spend them instead of books. There's some flexibility there. The reason you're putting them down is because if you complete a row or a column at the end of every round after that, you're going to get a certain amount of points in income and the length and the difficulty of the row and column is going to correspond to how many points you're going to get for that. And they'll add to those medical points that you have been getting. Other things you can do. You can go for your lessons and you can deck build. There are three levels of card. You only get access to level three if you've got a three power in the action. They are all linked to the five basic actions, but they all have various things on top as well. And you're going to need to deck build because, as I said, at the end of each round, you have to tuck a card away and it will go out of your deck. And that's how you're cycling. There's a work track. You can go to work. And every time you move up the work track, the number of spaces you go is equal to the number of coins that you're going to get in. That's going to help to pay for you to move around the place and do various things in the game. There are like free bonus actions you can do by spending coins each turn, for example. Also on that work track, you've got the one-off bonuses. You've got bonuses you can collect that will add to your board to power you up. There are spaces you can stop and earn extra money from doing separate things. And also at the end of it, there's an end game scoring space, which if you reach and have the right number of books, you trigger an ability to score end game now there's one on that work track there's one on the map of europe you can access via traveling but there are four more which are linked to the last action you can do and that is a technology action you start with one apprentice you can get other apprentices by moving around various bonuses or possibly spending lots of money and they start moving up a very branching track and as they move up, they take these one-off bonuses. There's a few of them, but there's other ones which will just power up the other things you do. At the end of each of these tracks, there are various things. Now, four of them are these endgame scorings. The endgame scoring, there's six available in any game. There's about 10 tiles that you choose from, so you never saw exactly what they're going to do. And they're going to score you per thing you have done in the game. So it might be per potion or per money collected or per number of masters you have played. Why am I talking about masters? Because there are four ways to get masters out. If you get a load of your books out into your study, onto your bookshelves, if you travel a lot, if you go through a particular place in Europe, or if you get to the end of one of these tracks on the technology track, you get to play one of your four masters from your hand. They will score you points at the end of the game. They might allow you to take a souped up extra action, or they might provide you with a load of books or various different things as a whole deck off them. Now, I keep talking about bonuses and books and masters and tiles because you are solving a puzzle in which you're going to work out how you want to score your points. And by taking the various bonuses, powering yourself up in order to get either an incoming points or lots of end game points to score the most points in your game of Newton. Sean, I mentioned Marco Polo briefly there in it. I have to come back to it again because, very much like that game, Newton gives you a spatial puzzle to solve and gives you a set amount of time in which to solve that puzzle to score your points. Yeah, just before we get on to that, which 
which is a very good point. I, I'm not doing myself any favours in my assertions that I am not on drugs by getting the name of the game wrong. So yeah, it's not Neom, obviously. It's Newton we're doing. And but we are talking about Neom in a couple, so now you're back on drugs again, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I think we made that clear, but carry yeah, on, mate. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm not, yeah, I can't really defend myself anymore. I'm here so, for you. Yes, your Marco Polo point. Yeah, there's two. There's two tracks, and yeah, very similar. There's like costs to go across certain parts of the track, the the world track, and you need to get to certain areas to score points. So definitely, there's those links in there. And you're a big fan of Marco Polo, Ronan. How does it feel for you? Does it feel as good? Well, that's a that's a stark question early on. I thought we would usually skirt around a little bit and talk about <laughs> this and a little bit of that. Okay, if you want to go to that direct comparison, here's my problem when comparing the two. Marco Polo is a dynamic puzzle in which things change, people can beat you to spaces, and it makes a big difference. You're rolling your dice each turn, so you have a different puzzle to solve each turn, and you cannot fully plan out. You can get an overarching strategy. You can say, I want to get to that city and that city, so I get those two powers, and that will link into what I'm trying to do with these contracts. Yeah. But it changes all the time. 100%. 100%. Newton doesn't change. That's why I'm rubbish at it, but yeah. <laughs> but Newton doesn't change. It it's, doesn't. You've got your deck of cards. You're fully in control of how you cycle that deck, what you take in and what you tuck away. And you start from the beginning and you start with your plan and then you just exercise your plan. And very little is going to surprise you throughout the course of the game. Pretty much. I think you've got that quite interesting mechanism that's driving all your moves. But once you, once you boil it down... Everything that you're doing with the actual moving around the board and advancing and putting books onto the bookshelf, they're all really quite simplistic. And you've really only got that one thought process that's really driving your, what, what books to get into your hand, what cards to get into your hand to, to make those processes work for you as best they can. But them in themselves are quite simplistic. In terms of simplistic as well, when I look at, and I'm sorry to say, I'm going to not do it again after this, but when I look at Marco Polo, there are various plans I can go down. And I think to myself, okay, okay, I can do this, I can do that. It's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. There are two ways to win this game. You can either study hard, which means you have to travel early, get your cubes out, identify the rows and columns you wish to fill in, and get them filled in as quickly as possible. Or... You use the tech tree, you get a lot of bonuses, you pick three or four off the six endgame scoring tiles and say, I'm going to score heavy on those tiles, and that's my plan, and that's what I'm going to do. If you vary from those, or if you try and be a jack of all trades, you're not going to win. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the issues I I found with the game, playing it a few times. You really only got those two parts, and... I think as much as as interesting as that main mechanism is, having as oh, and I'll go back onto it again, having those simplistic actions and then having not that many routes to victory, you're kind of treading the same water over and over again. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Ronan, and it's one of one of your bugbears, is you were very kind to literally teach me the game before you lent it to me. So I didn't really have to dive too hard into that rule book. But when I did, I found it almost impossible to find things. And I found it really, the structure of the rule book just kind of baffled me when I was just trying to pick bits of information out. 
from learning the game from scratch, how was it? Yeah, for, I think it was okay. <laughs> but it's one of those books that's written out to learn. Yeah. So you read it and you go, There's, I, it wasn't structured exactly the way I'd like it to be, but you, know, you can't be too fussy, all right? It wasn't written for Ronan. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was fine to learn from, but hard to reference back to. And it, the times, the first couple of plays, when I had to go and check something quick, it was very difficult to find because it's all written out in paragraphs and stuff like that. So it's a really good job in one way, but it's not so good in another. I did want to pull you up on one issue there. Yes, go. You did refer back there that you feel like you're treading the same water. Yeah. Within an individual game, I found it quite interesting. There was a lack of interaction, which, you know, really didn't interact very much at all with each other, which could have been nice. But within the game, I say, here's my here's my puzzle. I now know after a couple of plays, I need to start on my plan very early because the pressure comes from time. That's really the only pressure in the game. It's your own decisions and how quickly you get on what you need to do, especially if you're doing the books and study, because the earlier you can get them in, the more you're going to get that income going on and it can really build up. Anyway, so within the game, I didn't find myself going, oh, I'm doing the same thing, doing the same thing, doing the same thing. It was when I went to play the next game and I wanted to do something different, I couldn't find anything different to do. So then I'm doing the same thing, I'm doing the same thing, the same thing. Yeah, I and think, And then I yeah. go, right, I'll switch across, I'll do technology track. But that feels exactly the same way as the first two or three times I did technology track. And now I feel like, right, I'm just having the same experience from game to game to game. Yeah, I think you've just made my point better. That was what I was getting at. From two games in, I was quite excited by the game. Still, don't get me wrong, I don't think it's a bad game. I enjoy the maximization side of it, just maximizing that strategy to, to the sort of nth degree. But in terms of variety of strategy, Two, three games in, I started to see that, that those same paths being retrodden over and over again in slightly different ways. And obviously, I was getting better, so I was I was maximising those paths a lot better than I was at the beginning. But yeah, the same similar paths. It kind of made me not like myself a little bit, and that's rare because I think. <laughs> but join the rest when... of the world. <laughs> no, I said a little bit. <laughs> I found myself. After a few games, when I taught it, kind of resenting the newer players because I knew exactly what I was doing for the next 20 moves and I just wanted to do it. And, you know, and naturally they're there trying to work things out and thinking, do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? And uh, of course, but then I just felt bad about myself because I was sitting there going, oh my God, okay, I'll do this. And then waiting and waiting and waiting. And my go again, okay, I'll do this because I knew what I was going to do and nothing was going to change that. Yeah, I've, I've sounded, again, you, you said it there, I've probably sounded more negative than I am about the game, but maybe sum up for us and then I can give my full rounded thoughts on it. Yeah, just to weave into to me summing up, there was I felt the game was quite solitaire. I didn't think the theme bore fruit at all. It's there if you really want to dig deep enough, but when, when you're giving me a game about Newton, I was really looking forward to science and scientific decisions and revelations, and it, it wasn't there. See, yeah. this is... Hold on, I want to uh, jump in there. Go on in, yeah. People whinge about them putting the same old themes on a Euro, but then... When they put a different theme on, and this is only a very slightly different theme, on, <laughs> they whinge that it's not thematic. All right, but neither's all the bloody trading in Germany thematic, but we don't say it's not thematic. We say it's just a euro without expecting it to be thematic. I think it's easy it's to make... a different coat of paint. Yeah. No, it is. I which don't... I'd rather have than the old coat of paint. Yes, it's still a coat of paint, 
But it's a different one. Is so the trading in Germany unthematic, or has it just been done to death? Of course, it's unthematic. I don't think of it course. is. I think I think a trading game is quite thematic because you're trading. You're actually doing the trading. Did you really feel like you were reading books and and learning? In this game, knowledge? you're actually travelling and you're actually <laughs> going to the places, and then you're actually writing a book about that place. And the more you build up your body of work of these papers that you've written, the more then that the fame comes to you because you've been to Stonehenge and then written a treatise about it and then you've been to wherever and written a thing about that and now people are noticing you and you're building up your fame it's the equivalent of a social media following it's back there. in the day it's there if you want to dig fine okay it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't the be all and end all no nah, you just you know uh, he didn't he didn't leap up and slap me sure right, shut up and get out of my summary yeah you're right <laughs> so Another thing I'll pick out, just which slightly, not irritated me, but slightly sort of made me feel like the game wasn't completely watertight, was the leader cards. I found them very random. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. kind of, the ones you've got, you worked with them, but they were quite random. And I suppose we're, we're whinging that it's not random and you're not working on your feet enough. And then I'm whinging again that I've got random cards I have to make the best of. So I'm just wanting, I'm wanting my cake and eat it. But... I did enjoy my games of Newton. It changed for me over time. From the first couple of games, it became a different game. As I said, it was more of an optimization game rather than solving that initial puzzle. But I still enjoyed it. It wasn't the game I wanted it to be. Now, I missed out on getting a copy because I didn't pre-order in Essen. And am I gutted anymore? Not so much. But I'd still play it if somebody asked me to. It's a good Euro. It's stinky. It's not too long. It certainly doesn't overwhelm you. The problem is, is that it's similar to some games that are great. And it's not great to me because of the fact that each game's too samey and it's a bit limited. And I know from turn one what I'm going to be doing in the very last turn. And nothing, therefore, is going to surprise me. There's not enough interaction. It was close, but they just missed out that magic sprinkling of whatever it is that would have turned it into a special game so newton a decent euro for me and we'll see you again in part two okay so another essen release was expand city playing two to four players designed by alex cutler from breaking games this is a city-building game where players are going to collaborate and compete to build a thriving metropolis block by block. And you're essentially going to be compete to be the most successful city planner. In Expand City, each player is going to take all their blocks of a colour, and these are big, large plastic blocks that fit on top of each other, like building an actual building, and they're going to take six into their supply and everything else is going to be their reserve. You're going to place the city hall tile in the center of the table and then you're going to draw two tiles from a bag and you're going to keep one why are you drawing tiles because you're going to place those tiles onto or orthogonally adjacent to tiles that are already starting as i said with that city hall tile what are the tiles well you've got your basic or commercial residential tiles and these are the only tiles that you are actually able to build on and you have your modifier tiles, which are things like schools, churches, hospitals, parks. And they are going to change the way that your buildings score by adding or subtracting from the commercial and or residential buildings. So then the building itself 
it takes form in three actions and you have two choices in those three actions you can either place a building floor uh, block onto a vacant lot or onto one you already have started or you can take a block from your reserve into your supply then you complete your buildings and you score them so residential buildings can only have one to three blocks and commercial must be four plus but you can only build one floor higher than your highest completed building of each type and you can also only have three on the go the basic scoring is one point for each floor plus your adjacent modifiers and lastly you have contract cards. You're going to get these when you complete a building. And what they do is they're going to give you extra points for building in certain areas, for achieving certain milestones or objectives, or for building next to certain places. And you're going to keep going until all your tiles are gone and the end of the game scoring with goal cards that were placed at the beginning of the game. Very, very simple game, Ronan. I'm interested to see what you think of this one, Ronan, because it is very, very light. Well, I suppose it kind of looks nice. <laughs> Knowing you, that's not a great start. I'm literally struggling to come up with comments for this game, other than my summary. So I scratched around on Board Game Geek to sort of just see what was being said. Oh, this is always fun. Go on, then. Well, the, no, 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 I'm not going to quote people. I couldn't. Because I think we get taken off air. <laughs> the best bit about this game, in all honesty, is the comment section of Board Game Geek, which is an utter drama fest of lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the story from Gen Con about, is it like Johnny Fantastic or some geezer? Yeah, yeah, a guy, uh, a YouTuber that's known for being quite rude about people. No, no, so, so the other guy is listed in the rule book of this. Right. The guy who punched that YouTuber yeah, yeah, who really that's rude. Right. Yeah, the guy who punched like, him, that's right. We we actually got a message telling us not to support violence or something, did we not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, bl- I uh, blocked that geezer on Twitter <laughs> the second time he missed us the same message. Like, listen, I don't condone violence, but that geezer seems to be incredibly unpleasant. And he's abusive of women and what have you. And I don't know, man. You shouldn't go up to anyone and punch them in the face if they don't expect it, but... Maybe offer that geezer out first and tell him you want to punch him in the face. That seems quite... I could see myself doing that at certain occasions after a couple of years. You've never offered Anyway, I don't out. want to be a keyboard warrior, whatever, man. Well, anyway, there's been this drama at Gen Con, right? Uh, and so the geezer's name is listed in the rule book. So if you go in the comments section, all you've got, is, well, 80% of it is ones or nines or tens with comments going back because the ones are like this designer's a scumbag he's attacked someone the poor geezer's nothing to do with the designer there's a lot of people going in the bar leave Alex Cavern alone he didn't do it that is the best fight I had was reading that comment section I was wetting myself okay about the actual game <laughs> that's it that's it forget the game don't, don't just go to the comment section you get more fun out of it ah. Uh, so I don't mind light. You know I don't mind light. What I hate is just random crud that's wasting my time. Mm. This is just wasting my life. <laughs> it's just wrong. What was your play account when you played this one? Played it three and we played it four. I never played it two player, which I know you have done. So I'm only commenting on higher player counts. And I dragged myself through games of this because we were going to review it and I wasn't happy about it after the first one. I'm not jumping up and down about it myself. I I paid money for this bad boy. So in its defence, I think it does play better with two players because you see more tiles. You've got 
you haven't got any control, but you've got the chance of control, the better chance of control. You're going to see more residential. You're going to see more whatever the other building type is. Commercial. commercial. You love this game, I can tell, because yeah. you remember all the... Wait, have you lost your work? Has there been a stroke or something? I, we we just talked about this off-air, and yeah, I, I don't know what's happened. I've, 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 Something's happened in my brain, and it's just not did, working properly. Did did Johnny Fabulous slap you around the head? Or Johnny Fabulous came up, <laughs> headbutted me. <laughs> anyway, so you're saying that you get... Like, for example, in my second game... I didn't draw any blue tiles from the bag for about five rounds. And with four players, you don't, there's actually not a huge number of rounds. So I didn't get a chance to get my commercials building up, which means I didn't get to the four. So then I didn't get to four. I couldn't build more of them. So I was sitting there watching people scoring because the commercial, obviously, the residentials can't get above three floors. Commercials will score most points generally. I just couldn't score those points. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just sitting there. My children were mocking me because all I was pulling, <laughs> this is in a different game, all I was pulling was the um, modifier tiles, right? Yeah. And they were like, what are you putting down? I'm going to put down this modifier tile for you lot to score. Why don't you put a building down, Dad? I can't. I had the longest chain of blocks available to me. <laughs> just They were just a massive, like, it was like half a metre long of blocks. Like, Dad, all your blocks are out of the box, but none of them are on the board. There's four of them on the board. You're getting cheeky. There's a whole four. So I'm just not going to do anything. Just sitting there, watching a game going, great, he, he has some points, everyone. What am I doing there? <laughs> that doesn't happen with two-player. I'll say that about two-player, but what, what two-player does do is for quite a simple game, where it is very random, it really elongates it to the point where it just becomes boring towards the end. And you're just like, yeah, I, I put down another residential tile. Yeah, I put down another block. I put a block here. It started off maybe being a little bit fun because you've got that table presence. And it's nice to see the, the, the city sort of erecting in front of your eyes. And Doing what? <laughs> erecting. <laughs> oh, it's the Beavis and Butthead episode, obviously. That's more fun than this game as well, you saying that word twice. But I mean, even the scoring, like, you put... Someone puts down one of those bonus tiles and it's like plus two to blue, right? And they slap it down where they've got one and it's next to someone else's one. They've tripled the scoring for someone else's building on nothing. You're like, why I'm not there so I don't get that triple scoring. Ooh, whatever. I may as well just roll a dice and highs win a win. Like, and also the goal. So you get like, you draw the goal in your hand. I uh, have a three level residential next to a church. All right, cool. How many church tiles are in the game? Two. One's out already and it's surrounded. And you got a one in four chance of drawing the other one. Well, that's the worst goal in a game. It's not a goal. It's a <laughs> hope. It's a wish. It's a, is it my birthday? What? Also, also let me just throw into, into the bag here. The weird design choices. So I think the buildings themselves have really a decent quality. They all stack nicely. They look good. The box insert, it was like a double layer box insert. All cool. Yeah, that comes out nice. The scoreboard is nice. Thick cardboard with like a rubbery feel on the bottom so it doesn't slide but slide around. And you've got horrific cards that literally bend if you blow on them. And then you've got a tile bag that doesn't fit the tiles in. If you put the tiles in, they wedge so tightly in there you can't draw anything from it. So I lent the game to Ronan for review purposes. He's got an Arkham Horror bag as his tile bag because I had to swap <laughs> it out. I love that the kids went, did that <laughs> I come with the game? It, it's Sean's game. Oh, okay. Oh, it's another Cthulhu bag. Silly yeah. old Sean. 
<laughs> you weirdo. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Why have we spent ten minutes on this game? Other than the comment section, go on. It all means go to it for a bit of See drama. Go on, that's funny. Obvious, random, too long, waste of time, expansity. <laughs> Apart from the weird design choices, it is too random. It's just easy not to get what you want and get stuck, especially if you do have three buildings on the go, as we found in the two-player game. You have no way of expanding into those. <laughs> so if you don't get the tiles to lay, you can't do anything. Too long for what it is at two-player... I do think it has a great table presence, but Ronan, you said something to me when we were talking about this. It feels like one of the games that you would go in, I don't know, Walmart in America or Tesco or Asda in the UK. One of those Hasbro games, not even as good as maybe as a Hasbro game. It just feels like that, and it feels like that's the market for this game. I think selling it to a gamer's market is a mistake and maybe something that breaking games need to think about in future. I didn't hate every game I played, but I won't play it again, and it's definitely going on the trade pile. And that was Expansity. So I've got your copy. Can I put my foot through it? No. I want to try and get something in trade, even if it's... <laughs> After this review, all seven people who listen will not be trading for this. Right. Now, you were slightly obsessed with saying the word neon earlier, Sean. I was. I was. I'll probably call this one Newton now. Yeah. So I've, I've, just, I've decided we'll throw a neon review in just to try and help you. <laughs> Your therapist texted and said that I should just to help you get over it. Right. It is neon. It's one to five players. It's around 45 minutes long. I'd say a touch a touch longer. From Paul Satosanti and Lookout Games, it's a tile-laying, tile-drafting city builder. So there are going to be three eras. There's a a deck of tiles for each of the eras you start with a different board which produces one basic resource and everyone's will be different and that center board has got a number of roads coming out of it the tile that's on your five by five grid okay you are trying to lay down these tiles to build up the road network within your own city you're looking to put down resource tiles which will give you one a resource or more off up to three levels of resources you get the basic ones they tend to help you build into the second level ones and then in era three you get access to the four super duper resources which are worth points all by themselves but will help you build very beneficial buildings you can also get resources from other players by buying them you can buy them from any player around the board but the further they are away from you in higher number of player games the more that's going to cost and if you connect your roads to either side of your grid that's going to reduce the cost for buying in resources. Now, there are other types of buildings, obviously, you can build. There are residential buildings you can build. They tend to have trickier road networks on them. They'll score your victory points at the end of the game, and you need to have a certain level of them in order to avoid penalties at the end of the game. There are commercial buildings you can build. Naturally, that's going to get you instant money or possibly some income. There are civic buildings. Now, they give you different stuff. They tend to give you ways of scoring victory points. They can also reduce the costs of things or make putting down tiles slightly easier or they can give you protection because in each of the eras one of the tile is a disaster there's gonna be a flood or a fire or a crime wave and you can build civic buildings to protect you from those things or they're going to cost you money increasing as the end goes on or make you discard tiles you've already played now, at the beginning of the game, there's the other type of tiles. They're called cornerstone tiles. And you start with four, and you draft around the place. But the maximum you're ever going to be able to build is three. And whatever area is, that's the maximum number you can have in play. And these cornerstone tiles are quite 
different. <laughs> they are going to help you possibly score points, possibly boost things that you've already done. There's a whole raft of them. There's a whole appendix at the back of the rule book. They do all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and they've got their own unique take on iconography. At the end of the game, you're going to score each, all your money that you've got is going to be halved, and that's going to equal points. The neighborhoods you've got, which is linked residential tiles together is going to score you points any civic buildings or cornerstones that you've put down that give you end game points for doing various things you have to have had some source of power within your city otherwise you're going to get minus points your resources will score points with the basic levels being low scoring and the host four high levels being worth 10 points each which is a decent whack however those Resource producing tiles have got pollution on them. If you've built residential too close to those, you're also going to get some minus points. Whoever has scored the most at the end of that, the three eras, will be the winner of Neon. Sean is a city builder and a drafter. It's like the love child of the other games in this episode. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So where uh, I would like to start, Ron, and we haven't done this, in the looks of this game, I felt... Even though it is quite abstract, I liked the streamline look to it, and I was quite excited about it when I first saw it in the flesh. I believe when a man is talking about, or anyone is talking about, the looks of a game, this must be split into two different things. Aesthetically pleasing. I like it. Good. In terms of use and iconography, horrific. <laughs> I was getting to that. <laughs> but just from standing back and having a look at the general components and, as you said, aesthetically. Yeah. Pleasing. I said pleasing. Yeah, yeah. Horrific to use. <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, it, I mean, some of it's okay. The resources are uh, easy. Costs are kind of easy. The basic, obvious tiles that if you were saying to someone, build me a city builder, they'd have those in play within two hours. All the basic things all make sense. They've tried to bring in something a bit different and variety and I guess some form of strategy by bringing in these civic buildings and specifically the cornerstones. Now, oh, the cornerstones, <sighs> mate. Oh. I thought we'd wait for a little while, but go on and crack into them. It's just a farce. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you do when you're teaching someone a game is hand them these four tiles. With I, I have played it several times and people say to me, look, I'll just show you, mate. What does this do? Yeah, I don't know. You have to check the rule book. And you go to the rule book and it's listed in some weird colour highlighting. It's alphabetical order, but it doesn't make sense to have an alphabetical order because all the tiles are mixed in with each other. And then when you read the explanation, you're like, I wish I hadn't read that. And there's so <laughs> many of them. There's so many of them. Oh, and they're so varied. And, all right, fine. Because when we previewed this, we said, oh, this, this could be the key to it, right? A lot of drafters, we even said it about Keyflow. You don't really know exactly what strategy you're going for. These cornerstones, this is it. This is how we know and we can build it. it, makes it thinkier. They really have very little impact at the end of the day. And most players don't bother building their cornerstones because it's just not worth it or it's just worth as many points as any other tile. That's how you sold it to me. And I was really excited by the prospect of them being the cornerstone of this city or civilization, whatever it is I'm building, the cornerstone that are going to drive like, that on. forward. I like how I sold to you your third most anticipated <laughs> game of Essen. That's but you a, oh. bought it. You bought it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a tile. Uh, I, I didn't had... see those three buses coming that you pushed me on the one after another. <laughs> but 
you know, but I, I liked the way you you saw it. I liked what I saw through your eyes. Yeah, I got these cornerstones, and that's what's going to drive the scoring. I was like, I was on board. I was on board the bus that ran you over. Yeah. I was I was chugging along. Driving. I was like, yeah, that that's it. That's what it is going to be. Those cornerstones. I'm looking at them, thinking, oh, I've got to make some real real good decisions here when I'm choosing my cornerstones because that's the you could pick blindly. You could pick none of them. You could pick all of them. It's not going to make any impact on what happens in that game. You're going to get what you're going to get. Hold on. We do have to big up one person at this stage, though. Were you part of that game with Ellie? Well, Ellie destroyed us, yes. She got cornerstones. Now, she claims it was a plan. She did it. All right, you know, I'll give her the benefit of the I doubt. think she got the cornerstones. We paid no attention that because we all had no worked idea. together and yeah. then built to it. Yeah. I was like, what? How'd you do that? What? I didn't even <laughs> see those. What imbecile was to your right giving you those... Co- oh. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Because we all knew exactly what everyone's cornerstones did, didn't we? <laughs> I gave you the guide. I mean, what do you want me to do? <laughs> it may as well have been in German. So Eddie did it once. Of all the games I played, Eddie did it once. So it can fall into place, but I couldn't do it. Other people I played with couldn't do it. But did it fall? It did it fall effort. into place? Or Ellie's very good at games, and there probably was the structure of a plan there. But yeah, Egypt drafting Egypt to her right, and me giving her the stuff I need because I didn't know what I was giving her. Really, I didn't. I was taking things but that yeah, I thought. There's no way of knowing no. cornerstones. And so. sometimes you just don't see the really cool stuff, and that's what I was going to get onto. There are some super tiles out there. Oh, Absolutely amazing tiles oh. that give you like loads and loads and loads of resources just from one tile. And like another person might spend six or seven drafts trying to get those resources onto their board. And one person can get it. Here you go. Yeah, I've got all those things that you just got. I've got in one tile. Thank you. You meatloaf for me, mate. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Because in order to make the really good resources, now they're worth 10 points by themselves, they'll give you access to really good tiles, like a, a computer store that will give you 24 money, which is 12 points by itself. It might also combo with other things, right? You need to have, say, four mid-level resources. So you can spend your whole era two trying to build up those mid-level resources and, and giving yourself pollution and all the rest of it. And then one tile in era three will give someone three of those resources, and it doesn't even cost much. And you're just looking at it going, why did I bother? But you couldn't plan not to because you don't know if you're going to get that tile. And they're so obvious to take at the beginning of Era 3 that it's like, well, anyone who get, draws them, they are gone. End off. They're gone. There's no... Because they're so good. And you're just... Why are they in the game in the same thing as I'm looking at this residential building that's going to score me a point in the same era? Okay. What? Another, another obvious tile to take. Like the... I don't know what they are. Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry. And those resource, I'm really sure to cut in, but those resource tiles, they're worth 12 points by themselves as well as giving you access to the better ones. You're like, what? Yeah, and you, you, you will not see them if you don't draw them in your initial no. draft. No, no chance. Another one, the perils or the catastrophes or whatever it is. If you get them, you're pretty you went, You knocked around it, disasters, mate, but it's not your day for <laughs> It's not my day for words, whatever. Uh, <laughs> You get those disaster peril catastrophes and you're going to take them and just use them so they're not going to used against you. So no brainer. Yeah. yeah, I've got it. So yeah, everyone else is going to get destroyed by whatever one I play. And I'm not because why wouldn't I? 
in theory, you've got those protection tiles that, that aren't protect really you. protection tiles, but they it? don't because they only protect what's directly around them. Yeah, so they don't protect you properly. So they're almost completely useless because even if you've just got one of each that's not protected, then you lose those tiles or you pay a load of money. So yeah. they save you a little bit. Ah, they're so, not great. So just to show, just to give an example, I picked up the. I didn't quite understand how the protection tiles worked, so I picked up the the fire department and. I thought, okay, but I've built the fire department, so hopefully I'm going to get some protection. No, I still had to lose exactly what everyone else had to lose. Two last points for me. You have to chase money. I tried to do it by just going resource heavy. It just doesn't work because money gives you access to everything. So be aware if you do play it, go after money, build your commercials, get your economy going, because having money means you can build anything at all. And having a couple of good commercials will get you so much money that you don't actually need any resource tiles because you can just buy it wherever you need. The second thing, and I'm going to end on a positive, Sean, before you make a few points and sum up, is what I do really like about it is the road connection system because it is a genuine limitation. And I did find myself not able to take tiles that I wanted because I'd start creating corners for myself or even worse towards the end, actually unable to take certain tiles I wanted because their one road connection didn't point in the right direction for where I wanted to fit them in and I blamed myself for that because I had control of it and I didn't leave my road network flexible enough to take them so that bit I did really like about the game agreed and it's also very easy to see the connections the roads the the connections stand out from the tiles and it's very easy it's very hard to make mistakes on that so fair play to that so Neom although I got the sort of abstract art style. I was hoping for a thematic city building adventure with those cornerstones driving forward the game. I didn't get any of that. It didn't feel like I was building a city. It felt like everything was random around me. It felt like things that were supposed to work just didn't work in the way that they should do. And I felt punished by this game throughout it. And I just didn't enjoy the experience. Now... There's games where I get absolutely mauled and I'm thinking, you know what? I could have done that better. I could have done that better. I didn't get that with the Neom. I just felt like, yeah, if if I was luckier, I would have done better the next time. But if I wasn't lucky, then I'd probably do exactly the same. I just don't see any evolution in Neom at all for me. And I just didn't enjoy it at all. So it was one of my big, big hopes for Essen 2018 and it's let me down. You, I think are even more negative about it than I am. <laughs> I thought I was going to be the one beating this one up. I did read that they worked on it for seven years, and I think they probably need to go back and work on it for seven more, to be honest with you. It's not user-friendly. There's a, that big barrier to entry in the iconography and the cornerstones and not knowing how it works and not being able to interpret them in. Now, okay, I understand that if you want the cornerstone idea, then it needs to be more vital to your strategy And also possibly there needs to be beginner ones and advanced ones to ease people a bit more into the game. That would have been nicer. The disasters are just not fun. They're going to happen in round one or round two of each era and it's almost impossible to make yourself immune to it unless you play that tile, which is luck of the draw. The most powerful tiles are more powerful than other tiles. Again, luck of the draw. There's really, to me, only one strategy that works and that's go heavy, heavy money. The whole game feels slightly unfair which in a Euro drafter, from lookout where people expect a certain standard of Euro, that leads to a meh for me. Would I play again? Yes. It's not expansive. <laughs> Did I keep it? No. Would I want it? No. Just a general no. No. So if you mix around Neon, you can make me no. 
computer says no. <laughs> okay, I lost. This has been a tough second half. It has been a tough second half. I don't know how you're going to go on this one. I genuinely don't. I'm interested. I don't know where you're going to go on this at all. Let's find out. Because the only time we played it together, we played it wrong. So I don't know what. Talk about it. (laughs) I actually liked your variant. Anyway, the last game is Dulasaur Island, designed by Ian Moss, coming from Pandasaurus Games, playing two players. This is very much an offshoot from Dinosaur Island. And with a very similar theme, where players are competing to build the best dinosaur theme park, think Jurassic Park here, and to try not to get the customers eaten. So you have a central player board, we'll come to that in a minute, but you've also got your own player boards, and on your own player boards you have six DNA strands, which are going to be used in to create your dinosaurs, and you also have your security indicators, show your levels of security in terms of not getting your punters chomped. Every round, you're going to roll five dice and add two specialist cards to the central board. Now, the dice are going to have various rewards from money to DNA, security, additional cards. And then you're going to place those onto spaces that already have rewards. So you've got to think very carefully about where you're placing those dice because the rewards are going to supplement what they've already got on them. The specialists are going to allow you to either cheat the rules somehow or give you an ongoing special power. And that's all part of your selection process. And the selection process goes as follows. One player will choose a dice or a card and then so on until everybody has chosen three times. The last thing left on that central board, whether it be a specialist card or a die, was going to add to the security threat that's already present in your park. Now, what you're going to do is then add cards to your tableau. Now, the cards in the game have two uses. One, you can create a dinosaur if you've got the relevant DNA strands, and the dinosaur is going to obviously increase the attraction to your theme park but it's also going to increase the threat depending on what dinosaur it is the lower half of the card has a building now buildings are going to give you access to more cards more money one-off rewards and they're also going to contribute to set collection to get buildings you're going to have to pay money to get them at the end of every round you're going to score some points and you're going to check against your security and work out your score based on how many people get eaten or not at all. And then final scoring is based on your set collection for buildings and your star value of the dinosaurs. And that roughly is Dulasaur Island. And nearly said Dinosaur Island. The brain injury is obviously more severe than I thought. Ronan, Dulasaur Island. I feel like I've got a handle on how severe that, that brain injury is. <laughs> <laughs> it's another drafter. This is like drafty, drafty episode, draft face. Look, drafty pants. Good, right. Jewelasaur Island. Well, now. Well. Well. I'm going to ask you about the look because I have not played Dinosaur Island. I've seen it in the flesh. The whole look was a bit much for me. This one turns it down like one notch. And I wouldn't say it's my favourite art style, but I find it quite pleasant to play. And everything is very clear what you're doing and what things do. I think... The artwork was a, a real major reason why I didn't dive headfirst into Dinosaur Island. 
This one being a two-player game, a slightly shorter length was what made me turn to it. But yeah, once you get up close and you're playing the game, everything makes sense. And I quite like, I still don't like the vibrant pinks and yellows everywhere, but I quite like the art style. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. Jolly good. Jolly That's good. a slightly more positive note than the last half hour. Right. <laughs> when I first played, I started getting a bit of a concern. So... When you build those attractions, it's the food ones that give you access to money. And you needed money because you needed money to drive up your security in order to build the big dinosaurs, to jump up in excitement and score the points. And that was the one path there was to victory. And I started getting, in fact, a a Neom-esque feeling that you just drive up your income and then you'll win. I didn't necessarily get that. I think security isn't as important as we first thought it would be. Uh, Roland's variant, where, <laughs> where basically I had all of my punters eaten in, in about two rounds and was uh, on minus points. But I don't think you have to go down that path as stridently as, as you say there, Ronan. I think you can start bringing those dinosaurs into the park to drive up the star value. As long as you're not bringing too many super sort of alpha predators in like your T-Rexes and your Megarexes or whatever they're called. Definitely <laughs> not. Megasaurus and Gigantosaurus and That's all those other one. things that yeah. I'd forgotten until I started playing this game again. <laughs> or didn't exist when I was a kid, but they did 60 million years ago. So how did that happen? I don't know. It's all a, it's an it's a expanding field of study. It's late, Sean. We're, we're not talking a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I started off like that. Well, I've, I've, clearly I'm dipping. Um, <laughs> so, in order to assuage my concerns, I was like, I'm going to start playing this differently. I went for heavy on merch stands. So I was drawing loads and loads of cards. And then I didn't really care what colour DNA I got out. Although you need specific colours DNA to build the dinosaurs because you can throw those cards away to swap DNA around. You can also throw cards away to sell excess DNA. And I ended up really low on DNA because when I played with the um, getting the loads of food stands and pushing up my money, I ended up with like 15 basic DNA left at the end going, this is what... With the merch thing though, I didn't end up with all that DNA. And in fact, I was quite tight on DNA. But it was Rachel I was playing, who I've played this with most often. She was going for the, the heavy money thing, and I beat her by a point doing the merch thing. And I thought, hold on. There is more to this than met the eye on the first couple of plays. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest with you, I, I had forgotten about the, the swapping over and, and the selling off your DNA side to it. So, yeah, obviously that's a, a route to explore. Obviously, I don't go down that route very often because I am money mad. And I will always go for the economy side or something. So <laughs> It's nice, though, but it's also, I think you're saying that the excitement level earns you more money than the food thing does. But that's not always obvious on your first play. And you always seem to be chasing your tail for that security level and doing it via money. There are other things you can do. So I'm, I'm just going to go down. The other thing that I then started trying to do a heavy attraction strategy because every time you build an attraction ride, a ride attraction rather, you get the bonus that the PR marker's on, so you get some DNA. And you can choose a basic DNA or a wild DNA. So similarly to doing the, the exchanging, you can then target what DNA you want to pick up. That didn't work quite as well, but it definitely led me to value them more because I was initially just putting them in in the last round to make those sets of the three different types of attractions to score the bonus four points. But then I started going, no, hold on. If I need 
a green, I can't get a green from the draft, just hold a, a ride attraction in my hand and play it, get an advanced one, I pick green, boom, I'm ready to rock. And it still started to. Now, I was thinking to myself, these are not like the biggest strategic breakthroughs in the history of the whole world that's come on here. How is it that it's taken me a few plays? And then that's what it came down to me that I was thinking that the game is really quick. And it really is a race and it really puts a pressure on you. And it's saying you need to build your excitement level. You need to build your excitement level. And it's easy to get caught up in that. And you start running and you're just like, build, 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 build. And then you do the same thing again and again and again. And I kind of had to force myself for the review to play in different ways to start discovering that there was more behind the scenes of the engine than I first imagined. What I did was I started letting the specialists drive me a little bit. I started, oh, yes, I was I started, coming to that. Yeah, I started changing up what I was doing with the specialists because they, they are quite varied in what they do. Some of them let you get security easier. Some of them let you just switch cards around or get extra cards or steal things from the other players even. And that became very helpful. Even just having that one that steals from the other players. Now, the person chooses what they give you. And some of it doesn't cost them anything, but it gives you something that is, is better to, for you. So it just made it more interesting to have those specialists. And you can have a, a two or three on your board at one time. And, they, and once you get those two or three, you get a nice little, nice little tickle going and it changes the game up. Oh, and it doesn't it just. And the order they come out and what the other person does. So again, initially, we weren't really drafting them to throw them away. But man, after a while you do, after you've played it and you think, oh, they're trying to do that. Oh, you know, the union boss lets you hold a hand of five cards. And the union boss came out in one of the games where I was having loads of merch stands. And if I could hold five cards in the round, I could do mega turns because I had a huge income in cards. I'd be like, great, I've got 12 cards here. Dun, 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 dun. Obviously, Rachel just picked it up and threw it away because it's her first. You know, and you start understanding more. And the specialists are really interested. Here's here's one of the games we had. I thought I'd be smart. I went money in this time, and with my money, I built up my security level really quickly, way beyond what it needed to be. Thinking right now, every time a security power up is rolled on the dice, now I don't have to pay four money rather than not paying one or two when it comes up early. And that's what I did. I started drafting and I'd take the security level each time. Of course, what Rachel got was the specialist that if your security level is lower than your opponent's, it goes up for the free every round. <laughs> and, that came out, and I drew it, obviously. And it, oh God, you throw one specialist away when you're, when you're, and I was looking at it going, that's really good for her. But there was something else I really didn't want her to have. And I put it down and she was like, and that was a different way it happened where then she was like as long as I just build herbivores and slowly build up my security level will go up all the time and then I, I've got time to, to go and then at the end she actually wished she got two other end game scoring cards now in a lot of games like this getting an end game scoring card early on is not worth it in this, because it's a race and it goes really quickly even if you're playing the medium or long game it still goes really quickly like the long game adds like one round to the medium game if you get an end game scoring card that's worth seven points that's a game changer because you're going to be pretty tight with each other there's no real runaway victories going on and in a lot of games like end game scoring i'm not going to draft them to the last two rounds there's not that many of them in this game so when they come out early it is a real choice to be like oh do i block one of my specialist slots but knowing i'm going to get seven points at the end which could swing it for me oh for sure yeah it is it's, it's super tight and those cards can make a big difference now the security, you were talking about the security level and the threat level uh, to, to obviously your park. Now, I know it's not particularly hard to stay on top of that 
you always have the option of, of, of buying things or drafting certain things or getting specialists but it's always on your mind and just that mechanism so if you leave something that adds three to the security level it's a very clever mechanism and you almost have to work together sometimes oh hang on if i take that we're both going to be knackered now do i want to be knackered as well as the other person or do i save them by saving myself and it, it's an interesting little thing to have to add on the, the thing that you leave behind the thing that you don't want it's definitely worth the turn after your opponent has spent a load of money and they're down to like four money going <laughs> right. All um, there's no matter what's on these dice. I'm taking the zeros and the ones so that we're stuck with a two or three at the end of this round. <laughs> See what you can do out of that. And of course they sit there looking at you like you don't even want this. You don't want that. No, I don't want it. But you're getting a three. You're getting get it. You, you put yourself in that hole. And it is, we said right at the beginning about Feld, he always gives you obstacles to what you want to do. That security level is basically the obstacle to what you want to do. Because otherwise it's wide open. You can do it. You can build as many dinosaurs as you can afford. But you really have to consider it. You really have to plan for it. It's tough. You, do you keep back a bit of money or do you spend it now for the bonus, knowing that you're vulnerable next turn? It's, it's negotiable. It's there for you to deal with. It can be dealt with, but do you take a risk? Or if you just play badly, it can come up and bite you on the bum. Play badly is a bit harsh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> not great at it. One thing I wanted to throw you away was, it is a card drafter. We talked about luck of the draw in Neom and other games earlier. Luck of the draw in this one, it can sometimes be tough if you're trying to be too specific in what you want to do. Or if it's like, right, I really want to double such and such icon, or I really need a large carnivore. Now, there is a, we always say it's not, you're not top decking, there's a market of three. It reduces the chances, but it can, at crucial times in a game that's always tight, feel tough. And I, I still don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It can do, but again, it takes your chances. And if you narrow everything down, then it's a gamble. But if you leave yourself wide open, as you talked about earlier on, when you had lots of DNA and you kind of had loads of cards in your hand and that was your strategy, and again, it's negotiable. You can surmount that, that problem within the game. The game gives you the ability to do that. That was the game in which I built loads and loads and loads of herbivores. So that then slowly pushed my income level up and then I had loads of money at the end. It was a real nice sort of rhythm to it and, and I won by a point. It was great. And of course, <laughs> and of course, Ronan, the, the children in us, because everyone learns about dinosaurs when you're a child and you go to the Natural History Museum, finding your favourite dinosaurs in, in the pack and and putting them into your park. It's always a little nice little tickle. I don't care if it loses me the game, I'm building them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Triceratops. I always build Triceratops. Don't you dare don't steal care. my Triceratops. Not my no. favourite, but it's one of them. Well, it is my favourite. So you just <laughs> get out. Triceratops gets built in my park. Back off. <laughs> uh, are you ready for my... I've been really positive there. I sound like I love the game. Maybe I should sum up. Are you ready? Go on, then. It's not the game I expected it to be, actually. I, for some reason, and you know, you get these impressions from somewhere, I thought it was a bit more epic and a bit more slow build, and that the dinosaurs will cost more DNA and you were really building towards a particular dinosaur, and then when you unveiled that dinosaur, it was a big deal and there were more rounds. And it's not that at all. It's quick. It's a bit mazy. There's different ways to go down. You've got to be, Sean said it there towards the end, you've got to be really light on your feet. You must have a plan B. You can't get too stuck on something because 
an unexpected specialist could come up or your opponent might leave that three dice that you thought there's no way they're going to do it but they've got a smart way of getting their way out of it or the things that you need might not get rolled this turn so okay what am I going to do to not make it a dead turn on your feet moving tight drafting two player game not the epic I thought it would be but I do like it so for me Julesaur Island I don't think we said the name of it for about 10 minutes okay Julesaur Island for me it was one of the games that I rushed to get I thought it would sell out in the first few minutes but they had quite a few copies and there was still some going on Saturday so maybe I didn't have to sprint straight to that stand but I did like waving you off for that sprint though it was beautiful to see (laughs) 3, 2, 1 Waddle yay and so I I, I got it because I did think it was going to be a lighter version of Dinosaur Island, and I wanted to see some of those mechanisms played out quickly and in a two-player specific game, and it didn't disappoint. I do agree 100% run. It did feel like there was a quite channeled way to victory at the beginning, because I am me, and I will always go for the money in games. That's what I do. But And it was a breath of fresh air hearing Ronan talking about the various ways he's found to go down different paths. Like the, And I found that with this, the specialists and the interaction in the game, Just not just the dice drawing, but what does that person need? How can I manipulate it so they get stiffed by security or don't get the dinosaur they need or don't get the, the dice that they really desperately want in this? So the interaction is ever present the design quality is absolutely fantastic the artwork i could i could give or take but what it has done for me it's made me want to play dinosaur island and that was never really a factor for me before i was always yeah i don't really fancy it but now i do and julasaur island has been a hit for me so i'm pretty glad that i've got it and we've both got it ronan we have it's one of our doubles from Essen and one of the few that's worked out well (laughs) (laughs) oh man right Sean we're going to see these lovely people in our outro when we've got some news and views and a little bit of this and that and a top three oh yeah welcome back to the outro Sean, I don't know what, what format. You were just asking me when I started recording. What, do you, what should we do? What do you want to do? You lead us. Should we start with our top threes for the episode, seeing as we're hot on the reviews, Ronan? Let's do that. Well, we were a bit hot, red hot poker on some We surely were. <laughs> okay, do you want me to kick off? Yeah, go on. Number three. I think I came across more negative probably because of a slight level of disappointment because I was really hyped for it, but it's Newton. It's a good Euro, happy to play again, can't play it too often, hasn't got the longevity and the variety in plays that I was hoping for, but still a good game. So Newton is my number three. So for me, my number three, Roland, I said it before we started recording, I couldn't decide between two games for my number three. I think Jewelastor Island is just going to edge out Newton. Not because Newton is a bad game, but because I've had better experiences and I'm still learning with Julesaur Island. I felt I've learned what I need to know for Newton. Oh, have you grown as a person? <laughs> Not go that far. Okay. My number two, I've got a horrible feeling that you've done a terrible choice as your number one. And other than that, your one, two, three would have been the same as mine. Because <laughs> my two is Julesaur Island. I really enjoy... The shifting nature of it, the fact that each game plays slightly different, but there's a pattern that 
those specialists you can learn what's in the deck but they'll always come out in different orders you've got different priorities you have to react to what the other player's doing i very much enjoy playing jewelasaur island i don't think it's got endless replayability but these first few plays of it i've very much enjoyed and i'm looking forward to playing it some more okay my number two is key flow very excited about it before and it hasn't let me down just that slight similarity between the key flower which i still think is a better game that holds it back it's very slightly but as it its own entity it's a very good game that's key flow and my number two i knew i knew i, I got a terrible <laughs> freedom when you said three and four with jizzle island and newton yeah my number one is key flow i hope you picked that up from the review I just like the flexibility, the fact you don't know exactly where it's going. Kind of similar in some ways to Jules Island, but Jules Island, you can more plan your path. Keyflow, again, you're reacting to what the players are doing, what meeples they give you, where you can put meeples in. Don't waste drafts. Don't overbuild your village. Make sure it's tight and everything is there for a purpose. And I've enjoyed the game very much. I'm happy to play it at various player counts. I think it works all the way around. And it's so quick, Sean. So much quicker than Keyflow. It's really unbelievable. How quick unbelievable, it is. that. And Ronan's worst... A seven and a half minute game of Keyflow. Ronan's worst fears are realised. My number one is Forum Trojanum. I love Stefan Feld. This brings all the Feldian aspects to the game that I really enjoy. The point salad, the obstacles. Now, where Ronan and me sort of split paths and he went one way and I went another way was that drafting i really enjoyed the theater of it not knowing quite what you're going to get but having things that can mitigate against it maybe not 100 percent control but i felt there was more control than ronan did and i really enjoyed my game just enjoyed playing it being in the game and playing it was just thoroughly enjoyable to me so my number one choice is forum trojanum I can only presume that you'd had a good dinner. <laughs> you and the missus were getting on well. You hadn't been at work that day. You had a following wind. The dog was curled up at your feet. Whatever, man. I don't know. You know what that means, though. It means that I'm actually right and that Keyflow is our number one joint game of the episode. It is. It is. Which means I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Which means you're an idiot for not seeing the brilliance of 400 Jadam. One of those two things, things, yes. (laughs) Okay, that's that for these six games. Sean, the next time these good people hear from us, our plan is that they're going to get reviews of six more games. Yes, yes. And then, as I mentioned last episode, we're going to do a review of our 10x10 of 2018. We'll see how that goes. Plan maybe a slightly less ambitious 10x10 10 10 for 2019, at least from Sean, with yeah, fewer four hour games. Mine is going to be mitigated to just playing 10 of the games I state. <laughs> I did say last time, again, which you haven't heard, we're doing this weird time thing. It might be a 5x10 for us this time, <laughs> for you. And then we're going to start doing a bit more like episode one, two, three, but not with Puria all the time, with Sean and I. We might invite other people in, but where we just chat about some games that we've been playing or Kickstarters that we've done or have a more sort of free form sort of style to some of our episodes and not just these formal big deep It'd be more like our general conversations minus the swearing. And well, in which case there'll be half the <laughs> <month>. <laughs> A fraction, a fraction. 
<laughs> we're going to try them uh, and that's going to be coming your way some way towards the end of the Christmas and New Year holidays where we've played with family and there'll probably be a slightly different style of game mixed in there with the heavier games that we've been able to get in and we'll just see how that goes man maybe something different for 2019 sure yeah why not let's start the New Year with a bang or a whimper as we usually do a dribble <laughs> that's that's how I'm envisioning it alright thank you so much everyone for joining us and we'll catch you again next time thank you thank Sean you, you're very welcome and Sean's going to see us out as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download our episodes we are on iTunes Stitcher Spotify and Podbean and we do have our YouTube channel where we have our pit stop videos giving you a brief overview on the latest games and we do have convention coverage on there too if you wish to contact us our email address is thegamepitpodcast.gmail.com and another great way of contacting us is to find us on board game geek for our guild where you can come in and chat with us there we're on social media we have a facebook page an instagram page and a twitter page at game pit podcast thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time music Boy, boy, boy.